Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Welcome to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. I'm Colin Ellis. And I'm Nam Kiwanuka. Colin, are you ready for your one dose summer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm still kind of not sure what that means, like what I can do exactly. Uh, I'm glad that I got my one dose, but I really want that second one. And I would really like some guidance on what it is I'm allowed to do this summer. Hey, you know, it's the magic of the pandemic. It just keeps giving you more and more and more questions. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely kept us on our toes this year. <laughs> right, right. Um, so what documentary are we talking about today? Well, we're going to be looking at The Face of Anonymous, which explores the life of an eccentric hacker named Commander X and the hacktivist movement he was a part of. This document alleges that I am the notorious hacker activist known to the world as Commander X. I am Commander X. Why did he say that? You try to tell him to shut up. See how that works. He told me that he was a cyber warlord. One of the most notorious hackers online. I've been called cyber terrorist. His alias is Commander X. He says that Anonymous may very well be the most powerful organization on Earth. I was fucking Batman. I had powers. Anonymous promised an army would bring unprecedented chaos. The internet is coming for you. Get ready. What are they after? What damage could they do? Nam, are you familiar with the film V for Vendetta? It's actually one of my favorite, favorite movies. When I lived in London, um, I actually kind of went to some of the places that were in the movie. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, some listeners might not know that. That movie is based on a comic book by Alan Moore. And there's a famous image of a guy wearing a Guy Fox mask. And Guy Fox was this guy from, I think, the 16th century who was part of a plot to blow up the House of Lords in England. And uh, his face became this very famous mask, which was used by a hacktivist group called Anonymous. And one of their members was a guy by the name of Commander X, who we later learn in the film is actually named Christopher Doyen. And he's quite an interesting character. Uh, this film is a very interesting look at his life and his uh, involvement in Anonymous as well as the Anonymous movement. This is one of those documentaries where it just kind of gets at the why someone does what they do. And I think the director says that Commander X is driven by doing the right thing. But of course, that can also be very subjective, right? Yeah, well, you know, we had a really interesting conversation. And honestly, I wasn't you know, all that up on Anonymous's history. And I guess I came to know them because of the uh, hacks on the Church of Scientology and obviously the uh, Guy Fox mask that they wore. And I would see them actually outside the Church of Scientology sometimes. So I was really uh, interested in, in learning more about them. And I think this doc does provide you a, a, an interesting lens into their work and also into who Commander X is. And I'm going to be speaking with the film's director, Gary Lang, who was rather candid about his experience filming with Commander X and just how unreliable of a narrator he is. So stay with us. Well, Gary Lang, thank you so much for joining me today on OnDocs. Good to be here, Colin. Nice to, nice to talk to you. 
Well, let's just start with Commander X because he's quite a quite an interesting character. Who who is he? Well, he is a uh, boots in the ground activist from the days before internet activism. Just at that age uh, to bridge the gap, he was an activist uh, in the apartheid era. That's where it started, uh, and transformed those skills uh, to the digital era. I should also say, which is important, he's been homeless his whole life. Uh, he didn't want to tell the story of his childhood, but I do know that he was on the streets at age 13. And basically, by choice, the only time he's lived with a roof over his head, not by choice, the only time he's lived with a roof over his head is prison. He's always chosen to live outside. Uh, in Mexico, now that he's older, he's got a roof over his head, that's for sure. But it's really the first time. And he's gotten through some 50 years on this planet through the kindness of strangers and sleeping in parks. Where's he from? He's from the American Northeast, Maine. Uh, I know some details. His name is known, so it's not that hard to figure it out. Uh, he, he's born in the country, raised in the country, not in a city. Uh, and he started wandering the U.S. at quite a young age. But critically, he was wandering the American Northeast, including the Boston area, the, the grand years of MIT and uh, the birthplace of a lot of the ideas we now know as um, digital activism. Uh, so he was exposed to all that at a, at a very young age. So he was, yeah. They're in the, they're born there. And I would say by midlife was pretty much West Coast based with the great activist uh, tradition that comes out of places like Berkeley, uh, that whole area, Santa Cruz. He's, he's that guy. What's it that drives him exactly? I mean, you mentioned he was involved in the anti-apartheid struggle back in the 80s. What's what, what sort of, I guess, his, his ideology, I guess? Yeah, it's, I can I can begin at the end, and that's probably the best thing, is like every day he could wake up and use his tools to rob you or me. You know, he, he could, and he doesn't. What drives him is um, a sense of wanting to do the right thing. Those are his words. Now, what he thinks is the right thing and what I think on the, is the right thing are by far and away not the same thing. But he does wake up every day uh, wanting to do the right thing and is more on the side of good than bad. So I, I can say what drives him, uh, partly he's got an obsessive personality, is whatever catches his attention. But on the other hand, you know, the apartheid story is a good one. We, we touch on it in the film, but I would say it was probably an hour in his interview of just knowing in his heart that it was wrong. And the more he thought about it, the more crazy he, it made him that I, the modern world, the technological world, a world that purported to believe in freedom and democratic equality, just allowed that. It made him crazy. So that's what drives him. He gets dug into something and then he just doesn't let go, which made him a very effective part of the anonymous movement, for lack of a better word. It takes people like that, uh, soldiers, driven soldiers, to win wars. And he was even involved in, in fighting against uh, some rule in Senate, is it? Um, 
Santa Cruz. Not Santa Barbara. Santa Cruz. Excuse yeah. me. Uh, he was involved in this in this uh, a fight to end uh, a blanket ban. This was basically this law that targeted people who were sleeping on the streets in in Santa Cruz, wasn't he? Yeah, that's the that's the hack that he's still on the run for. So it seems absurd, and that's worth mentioning. Sort of what the film is about. When I started making the film, I have an interest in internet activism, and my interest began with a simple question: Does the punishment punishment fit the crime? A lot of internet activists that I've made documentaries or told stories about. Uh, or have done very serious time for what are essentially joke hacks or hacks that didn't harm people, but harmed corporations <laughs> or possibly harmed authority's sense of authority. So uh, the Santa Cruz hack is a very simple one. He was living on the streets of Santa Cruz and Santa Cruz has what's called a, it's a, it's a, a blanket ban. So you can, <laughs> you can't have a blanket outside because that would encourage you to sleep outside, which is just a, you know, an absurd level of, you know, Kafkaesque lawmaking. Uh, he took down, he wore, this is the cool thing about him. Okay. So he, he's not everybody's cup of tea. He warned the city he was going to take down the, their website he warned them it would be on a Sunday when they didn't need it. He warned them it would be for 59 minutes and 59 minutes only. And then he did it. They still went after him hammer and tong. You know, mm-hmm. no one was harmed. And uh, he skipped his court date and he went on the run and has never uh, stood trial for that silly crime. Yeah. I want to get to the government's kind of reaction to... Uh, Commander X and Anonymous. But before I do, I, I guess I should find out a little bit more about how you sort of got involved with him and how you met him a bit. Yeah, it's a it's it's a simple story when you break it down. Uh, uh, I didn't know him at all. So for for people who haven't seen the film or don't know the story, he was in Toronto for some time, which is where I live. Uh, I at the time had heard of him and I knew he was in Toronto for a time, but I'd never met him and I'd never give him a second thought. I've been working in on subjects about cyber, let's just call it cyber, but both sides. I'm also have an interest in the people who prosecute people like Commander X. And I was working in that space as well. Um, and uh, his story had kicked around. It had crossed my path once or twice as someone wanted to make a documentary, which is a guy named Ian Thornton. And Ian had met Commander X in the streets of Toronto on Queen Street, seen him panhandling, and developed a very strong friendship. And uh, Ian wanted to tell his story. So it took a while for Ian and me to meet. We met through um, a producer friend named Ed Baraveld, who is the producer of the documentary. And Ed and I and Ian, uh, immediately, there was a fairly developed idea for it, but my idea was more about the the whole freedom part the whole should this guy really be on the run for a couple of playful hacks you know we sold it to uh, we took it to tvo originals that's where we started and ended and by the time that meeting was done much to our surprise jane uh at tvo originals had said yes were you ever kind of skeptical of some of commander x's claims i was very skeptical so one of the things i think that makes the, the film um, a bit more interesting than many is that there is a tension between him and me. I remain skeptical. 
So I had never met him uh, when I got on a plane. We'd spent maybe two or three hours on a secure platform speaking uh, where I didn't say a word. He spoke the entire time. This is prior to my going. And it was just laced with threats against me, which was that if I messed with his life story or screwed it up, he would destroy me digitally. He would destroy me, my family, my children, and everything about me because he'd been here before. And it was just like a absolute um, rant. Within three days, I was on a plane, rushed off to a safe house with him where we had no digital equipment, no way that we could be tracked. He was very adamant about that. I didn't tell anyone other than my producer what city I was going to. Everyone knew I was going to Mexico. But at that point, uh, X still didn't have any status. So I, as much as anything out of courtesy to him, didn't want him arrested because of me. I didn't want anyone calling my family, say, we know Gary is in Guanajuato, which is now known. But at the time, it wasn't. So um, so then I, I, I'm, it's a long story, so forgive me. But then I sit with him for a week, and I would say that half of the things that emerged in that week, I could now say aren't true. They're not hmm. in the film. Does it matter? I don't know. I don't know that it matters. What is true is in the film – and what is also true is that he was an essential part of the anonymous movement. What he did do, which was gracious and, you know, damning, is he gave me names of people that I should talk to next. Because at that point, I knew a lot of those people, but I didn't want to call them until I had film with, with X. As soon as I called them, and they are in the film, they were very critical of him, to put it mildly for being so loud and so um, filled with stories that aren't true to be polite. And the stories are, are true. I just want to be clear. His role in them is the part that's sketchy. But who's going to challenge him in an, in an organization that has no leadership? He knows that. Well, yeah, let's talk a bit about Anonymous because it's, you know, this this movement, everyone, I think it kind of associates them with those Guy Fox masks, which we can talk about. But maybe if, if for people who aren't familiar, what, what is Anonymous? Yeah, I can break it down and it's it's not um, it's challenging. I've, I made a whole dom dom a documentary called What is Anonymous? And it had no answers, uh, but I'll break it down. It um, uh, is a movement without a leader. How it operates is essentially not democratic. It's uh, instinctive. A bunch of people. Now, I'm, I'm speaking in the present tense. Anonymous as a name, as a concept, no longer exists. When it existed, let's say around 2010, a bunch of people are on the internet and they're just kind of jiving, chat in 4chan, which is a very nasty part of the internet uh, that I don't suggest you go to. But you know, on the other hand, it's a place where this is important. There is no censorship. There is, it's absolute anarchy in terms of freedom of expression, which is a value of anonymous. Freedom of expression is, uh, uh, is paramount to anonymous. So if you go in there, you tend to use the handle. I wouldn't put in Gary Lang. I wouldn't put in Colin. I'd put in anonymous. There were so many of them that they, this organization was born. So many people speaking anonymously, kind of with one voice, and it started moving like a river towards causes. To make a long story short, over the next couple of years, many of those causes seem to be on the side of um, taking care of the little guy and taking care of internet freedom. 
mistakes were made. It wasn't always taking care of the little guy. A lot of laws were broken. But on the whole, what Anonymous was, was a, turned out to be a very large group. They didn't even know how large that was shaping history with digital activism. Uh, a couple times, the guy Fox Masks, which is uh, um, from the movie V for Vendetta, um, a co- more than often than a couple times, they started taking to the streets, and that's when we started seeing them. And then suddenly we knew, and it, the film more or less states it as a blatant fact, but you won't find it on Wikipedia, that Occupy, certain aspects of Black Lives Matter, definitely a huge part of Arab Spring was organized through Anonymous. We see those masks in the in news footage, and you're like, really? But those masks are there because those guys, what Anonymous was doing was giving movements toolkits, both digital and analog. Sometimes it might be simple like, this is what you do if you get tear gassed. Flyers, you know. But they were they were helping people with causes to organize. They were doing the, the most, I think, pivotal one, which is worth mentioning, is during Arab Spring, the governments of that part of the world, variously, kept turning off the internet. Anonymous, single-handedly, not the CIA, not any other group, kept turning it back on to make sure that people could hear in this town where they were being tear gassed. It's a lie that it's happening in the next town. They're also fighting. And that kept the spirit alive long enough for the people to turn a corner. Very effective against old school um, propaganda tactics done by nation states uh, to suppress information. That's what Anonymous did. Um, I can flash forward and say, even though they don't take credit for it, I think a lot of what we saw in the last year in the United States was were Anonymous-like ops. Um, notably, when... Uh, President Trump thought tens of thousands of people were attending his rallies and it turned out they were being bought by Korean K-pop fans. <laughs> uh, and anyone can Google that to just sort of remind themselves of those details. The level of organization that that took reeks of anonymous. So I'm not saying they did it. I'm saying that toolkit, I would almost guarantee came from anonymous. It's interesting how such a decentralized movement could be so organized. I wonder why that is. Yeah, no, it's it's hard to wrap your head around. So, you know, my premise like yours when I went at this film was like someone came up with the idea for the mask, guys. Someone came up with the idea for the name. You put out propaganda videos that someone cut and voiced. So I'm not buying this whole there's no leader thing. And they're right, I'm wrong. There's no leader, but they kind of just threw – what do they, they have a word for it, but they just throw whatever tools they have at their disposal in the moment to make stuff happen. It's like a meritocracy, but it's a little different whereby, you know, well, we, anyone know how to cut video? <laughs> it's how it went. And then they just dump stuff and very few misses because the people at core have a better understanding of how one, the internet works and two, how to manipulate things like video and audio and boost them, pump them, get them out there in terms of maximum reach they understand that better than most governments so they are very effective at it because they're a bunch of essentially you know not to be it's not a derogatory word geeks men and women who have time on their hands to do it 
you know what their ideology is exactly? Yeah, that's the hard part. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I would never, and it's the other thing that makes the film a departure from other films about internet activists uh, and about anonymous. I, I don't heroize this group. Um, a couple of them have become very close friends and their ideology is very different from mine. Um, and there are a lot of really bad people in any organization. And this one can, you, because it has no, there is no membership. It could be anybody. And they're what we call trolls can be really ugly trolls within this organization. So if it has an ideology for sure, I, I, I will say that they are anarchists. There's no problem burning anything down. They're neither left nor right. There's kind of a, um, as I say, there is a, a drive to be, to do good, but that doesn't always mean they do good. A lot of bad things have happened. And I could name a few, but you know, they're not terrible things, but it's privacy on the internet's an important thing. And if anonymous targets the wrong person then they go down just like a true villain. So and it, it has happened. So, uh, anarchy is a thing that is an ideology. It's not mine. And I would say most of the people that I encountered, um, are anarchists. Now, some of them are, have, are very sophisticated anarchists. It's anarchists with an end in mind, which is to burn everything down to start again. Commander X, I found, I find to be a bit unwieldy because he is very passionate. So I'm not sure how focused his anarchy is, but he's an anarchist. And his relationship with Anonymous, I mean, is it, it's sort of tenuous, isn't it? It's like, it's a bit like they don't really, they don't really trust what he's, what he's doing. And I think his choice to reveal himself too is, is also something I, I guess Anonymous would probably be opposed to, right? Yeah. It begins and ends with that, um, with all, with a lot of stuff in the middle, but the beginning is no one else in Anonymous has ever revealed. They are Anonymous. The name of the movie is the face of Anonymous and it's an inside joke. There is no face of anonymous. Uh, Commander X saying he's a face of anonymous is a joke. Uh, they oppose to they're opposed to anyone being named, anyone talking to the media, anyone making a film like this. Kinda, uh, they because they're it's an interesting thing because on the other hand, because they they're supposed to not stop anyone from freedom of expression. It's a pretty easy argument to me to make with my friends and anonymous that they can't stop me, you see, but they don't like it. Uh, uh, Commander X used his um, links to the organization to become famous, famous in his own mind, but famous for a day, famous on and off, famous enough for this documentary to be made. Um, anonymous is no fan of that. They've never looked for, you can't get a spokesperson to appear on TV on CNN from anonymous. Hmm. But the gentlemen that you do interview that I guess are part of anonymous, like Barrett Brown, like why, why would they, why would they, I guess, reveal themselves? Well, uh, there's, there's the rub and there's my answer. Those guys, Barrett and I text frequently. Um, I don't see him right now cause he's not living close by. He's, uh, moved out of country. Um, he's a true anarchist with, uh, with who's thought it through. Um, why do Barrett really does not like commander X. Barrett really does not like what commander X represents because Barrett was in prison. Why did they speak to me? Barrett's done his time. So is Greg house who also appears in the film. Both these guys have done serious prison time, 
for who they are. In Barrett's case, it was directly linked to hacktivism, and Greg's not not exactly. Um, and they're not doing time again for. And what we did is we went backward to talk about the things that are on the public record. I would say that the level that the two of them appeared in this film and talked about that kind of intimately is new. I think that they um, were past their comfort zone a little because my whole line of questioning wasn't about the great things they did. It was like, how does it all work? And then it inevitably leads to them. Uh, Barrett, you ask, Barrett and Greg have been asked to be the spokespeople for Anonymous and they both declined. But both of them have appeared on CNN to speak for Anonymous. Barrett happens to be a journalist. So we can say, I'm a journalist interested in Anonymous. So he's done that. He did that for years before he did time. Hmm. Uh, and everyone knew when they interviewed him that he was in anonymous, but he was saying, oh, no, no, it doesn't. What do you mean in anonymous? You can't be in anonymous. I'm a journalist with connections to anonymous. So Greg's position is a bit more unwieldy because he is, you know, in some ways, Greg was there on day one. And uh, uh, this is, again, you need to see the film to know who Greg is, but you could also uh, quickly Google him and find out that, you know, there are a few people who were there at the beginning and Greg's one of them. Uh, so it doesn't make him a mastermind. He would never claim to be, uh, but it does make him someone who understands how the thing grew. And to answer your question, why people like X are necessary, uh, but no, by no means should they be speaking on behalf of the organization. I guess guys like Barrett would be that kind of that type of anarchist that you mentioned earlier, who kind of, bring things down to, I guess, build things back better again. Is that, is that fair to say? Like he's, he's actually got a, like kind of a, a vision in mind for a better society. It's fair to say. I mean, I don't think the film necessarily cuts around it. Um, Barrett is not by any means, he would never claim to be a nice man, but I'm not sure we would necessarily claim that some of the founding fathers of the United States were either. He is, he feels that he's one of those. He feels that he is on a direct line from the, very independent minds who are willing to burn uh, the world to the ground to start something new. You mentioned in the, earlier just, um, you know, I think that I think part of your interest in doing this was about just the fact that the government took such a hard line against anonymous and against commander X uh, for crimes. Could you just talk a bit about what their crimes were and, and why they were taken so seriously by the U S yeah. Uh, it, it, we forget there's a hack on a U.S. pipeline, and it's just it barely makes headline news. You know how terrifying that was ten years ago. Ten years ago, when the U.S. government realized that their infrastructure by a a foreign power or terrorist group could be taken down, that would have stopped the hearts of the Obama administration. Uh, Anonymous appeared in that time, and they kind of became the boogeyman. But the simple truth is it has members who could attack infrastructure using cyber tools and turn off the Hoover Dam or, you know, God forbid, take control of the nuclear codes or, you know, God forbid, um, turn off the grid to all of New York for a month. These are the fears and by the way, there are, I interviewed people in the film, the legitimate fears of organizations like Anonymous. Anonymous doesn't roll that way. It tends not to. But, you know, like anything, you sharpen your sticks and rogue individuals, 
especially in an organization that has no, are these American nationals? No. Are these four, are some of them Russian nationals? Yes. You know, it gets very murky, very fast to tell the difference between anonymous and the hacking of U.S. elections. So the Obama administration um, took a very hard line, much harder than is recognized against all of these individuals for being part of the same problem that we, you and I probably wouldn't debate that hacking elections is bad. So how can you support anonymous? They sharpen the tools, they hand the tools out and they have no leadership. So it's, eh, it's not even a gray area. It needs um, to be uh, managed. <laughs> <laughs> managed is definitely the answer and you know uh we need to envision a world where um i i was i'm not going to use the word policed but it needs to be managed because it's a problem and the problem hasn't gotten away the problem's gotten worse so that's why so many of these these guys many of them kids guys and girls many of them well under 25 got busted a couple of them are still in prison you know X for his little hack and a couple other little bits. You know, it depends on how you squint at it, but it could have been 25 years, which at his age is a life sentence. It's insane. I guess the U.S. government's argument would be, and I think, and I think you even interviewed Leon Panetta, who's Panetta, yeah. the former CIA director, is that, you know, because these tools they're using can be could be used for, I guess, such dangerous purposes like hacking elections. And because America's infrastructure is aging, I guess they would argue that, you know, they really want to discourage anyone from doing anything to that would, you know, harm U.S. interests. Is that kind of, I guess, the, that sense, is that's the, the sense I took of it. Yeah, but, yeah, that is the answer. I mean, he's, you know, Panetta's answer, and um, it's not my first encounter with him. We have spoken before, but his answer is, is, is he's a very generous thinking man about it. He's like, I've, I've listened to both sides, but it's, you know, sometimes you've got to fall on the side of what is right. And what is right is we have to limit these, this type of activism. Now, does that mean, like I'm pro-free speech. I'm also kind of pro-anonymous. You can tell from my tone, I'm, I've thought this through, you know, like, but what it actually means, what he's really saying, and it's not on him, is that we need to harden our infrastructure and the protection of our infrastructure. That's what we're really saying, which is also a cyber thing. You make it harder to hack. And by virtue of doing that, not only you are leveling the playing field, you're, um, you're reducing the interest in kind of the, the, the playing around that's happening out there. If it's not as much fun to play, then people stop playing, which is essentially how Anonymous got broken up. It was infiltrated from within and it stopped being fun to go hack stuff. Um, not fun because it got harder and it also people were getting arrested. So um, I'm not all for the arrest, but I'm definitely for a more secure world. Um, you know, you put better locks on stuff and a lot fewer, fewer people knock on your doors, including Commander X and Barrett Brown or whatever, you know. They're kind of in a way showing, I guess, us, you know, you got to take your your infrastructure, your your cybersecurity more seriously. And I think we're starting to do that in a way. Yeah, I, you know, I think I, the first time I touched this subject is going on 10 years ago, and we are thousands of miles away from where I thought we'd be. 
um, based on the projections of people at the time. And it's all just got to do with the spend and it's got to do with the number of hacks, you know, but a little cybersecurity is worth a lot less than one um, U.S. fighter jet. So it's there needs to be some reckoning there. Um, and I'm, I'm not playing politics. I don't know whether it was the last administration or whether it would be this one. There's only so much money to go around and, and hacking pipelines is not cool. Right. Yeah. And that, that's the sort of thing that take that one more level and we've got a big problem. So nothing's changed. So yes, hardening has happened. And I can tell you, you know, there's a completely different film, maybe my next one about that. I'm very interested in that, but it's, it's not, um, it certainly isn't racing ahead, you know, despite all the warnings that the people who were arresting the commander X's were giving to the administration. The next administration didn't do any better or worse. Hmm. We have to kind of wrap up our conversation, but, um, you know, I guess we could just talk a bit about where Anonymous is at now. I think you mentioned that uh, they kind of got broken up and Commander X is obviously in Mexico, but is there anything more you can say about either uh, that organization or Commander X? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to presume that Anonymous is, I, I'm not going to say it because I'd be breaking a law, that Anonymous exists or is active right now. And I'm not going to say that I know it. Because I don't. But I did say already, I believe that you can see elements of anonymous in things that happened in our lives last year. Um, uh, and I, more importantly, and X would say this, we've done a couple of interviews during uh, the time that this film has come out, that it's anonymous has become part of the fabric of activism on the internet everywhere. So maybe someone from within anonymous is involved, maybe they aren't, but the tools of Anonymous are now everywhere. And let me give you an example. Um, the whole George Floyd thing comes down to this, this very simple argument that if it weren't for a kid taking a video, we wouldn't know. True. Somebody boosted the video. That didn't go to CNN. That went wild on the internet. Those tools are tools that were invented and spread freely by anonymous 10 years ago. So you couldn't try to take that down that video 10 years ago. You could. So it's the whole idea of boosting, sustaining, making sure that it's in the public imagination that you have freedom that you didn't have in this digital space. That's where anonymous lives today. Uh, I, and I've had this conversation many times with people saying, yeah, you know, they're not relevant. It's gone. It's gone. I'm like, yeah, Go Google that and think it through, you know, like if you actually, and you see elements in the, I, I know because I was making this documentary during Black Lives Matter, the, the very different from the last time. Sadly, there's always the last time where Anonymous had a steady hand on the till to make sure that when there were protests, they were being boosted. I was seeing stuff on my phone through a private feed that was on the news the next day. So they're still doing it. They're just not called anonymous. And what they're doing is legal. You know, totally, that's totally legal. You're allowed to do that. It's free country. Uh, different story than not that long ago. So that's where they live. That's where we see them in our day-to-day -day life. They weren't really involved in the Capitol Hill attack, were they? Or yeah, there's, there's, the, there's the evil dark side of anonymous. Um, at first... 
I think about that story all the time and I've mentioned it recently. Uh, we just thought it was a bunch of dudes who got in their trucks and onto airplanes and went to Capitol Hill. We are now seeing very clearly that that was um, digitally organized, that that was, you know, uh, it was a, it was a movement that was planned using tools of encryption, using the tools that have been propagated by anonymous and organization organizations like them. All I have to say, so yes, that is a problem. All I have to say is Anonymous never tried to kill anybody. So that is why I'm not even on the fence about having to harden our system so that that can't happen again. I honestly believe we do need to harden our system so that organization, digital organization, is just plain harder to do. Um, so yes, all of that stuff stinks of using for ill purposes uh, and it's not got anything to do with politics but they intended to hurt people mm. uh my politics aside people were supposed to be harmed possibly killed so using those tools to do that to stay secret until the, the point where you actually strike is the downside of anonymous <laughs> it's not anonymous op but that they built that infrastructure and that inception, that whole idea that you can do this is out there. And that's what I mean about there's a lot of very bad people um, in the world and on the internet, and you can do bad things with it. It's um, It freaked me out once I started thinking about it, saying it just looks like, you know, the the dark flip, the other side of the coin of an anonymous op. And is X still involved in, in hacktivism or is he kind of retired now? No, I wouldn't say he's ever retired just because of who he is. Um, uh, I get the sense he's very quiet just because he's tired, um, but but not retired. If a cause catches his attention, he's in. During George Floyd, I could see that he was very active. Um, that's something that's very close to him for whatever reason, he always jumps up about that particular issue, which is a great thing that speaks to his character. Uh, but mostly, yeah, he's, you know, I can, I can cut this both ways and he wouldn't like me for it. Did the state win? He's not in the United States, somewhere in Mexico, isolated without any of his friends, out of his own country, and is he defanged and declawed? One might say so. You know, did they win? You can make an argument. You know, exile and imprisonment. That's the oldest game in the book, right? So uh, he chose exile. Uh, I, he'll say he didn't because he still got his computer as this, that, the other. But it's just a different thing when you already had to run for it, you know. So um, I put it there compared to, say, others um, Barrett is right now a very vocal a uh, activist in the UK and will probably end up in prison any minute, you know? So there's different ways you can, you can um, live your life. And X is definitely, and I'm going to repeat this, chosen his because he chose exile. You know, he could have chosen prison. Yeah. Well, Gary, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, pleasure to be here. It was nice talking to you. And thanks for showing interest in the film. And that's the podcast, and it's also the end of our season. Nam, we did it. 
We're at the end. We did it. Well, I did like six episodes, <laughs> but you did it. You, you you joined us in the middle of this of this uh, season, and you're a wonderful co-host. I hope you'll come back. Thanks, Colin. I, I hope. Uh, thanks for the invitation and the opportunity. It's such a. It's it's hard to call it work when you get to watch documentaries and then talk about them and then talk to people. But yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. Oh, my pleasure. Well, The Face of Anonymous will be playing Tuesday, May 25th on TVO and streaming on our website at tvo.org. And you can catch Commander X and novelist and producer Ian Thornton on the agenda with Steve Pakin right now at tvo.org as well. While you're here, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about us? It helps new listeners to find the show. You can follow me on Twitter at ColinEllis81. And you can follow me at Namshine, all one word. Thanks to producer and editor Matthew Amara, senior producer Katie O'Connor, production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hollowell, and executive producer Laurie Few. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next season at the next screening. <laughs>